This is The Last Mile, powered by Segway. Join the people of Segway as we discuss industry trends in our vision of the future of transportation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Last Mile, a Segway podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. So it's been a bit of time since our last episode of the show, uh, and I guess you could say that this is our first official episode of The Last Mile. Uh, the previous episodes that we have up on iTunes and Spotify were actually repurposed episodes from our podcast interviews we did on Market Scale's Transportation Podcast. We took those, added our fresh intro, and re-uploaded them, but now we're really trying to give The Last Mile its own treatment and its own voice. And in that stretch of time, since uh, I think our last main interview was in February, we repurposed some uh, outdated ones back in uh, in July of this year. Uh, but in that time, a lot has happened in the micro-mobility world. And I think it can just be summed up by looking in the past two years, honestly. Uh, it's just kind of a microcosm of that growth in two years. Really, the micro-mobility market has exploded. And this shouldn't be anything new to people in the space, but we wanted to really get a look for how the market was really faring in 2019, in Q4, and then use that as a springboard to look forward into the future. So we want to ask questions like, what technology is really empowering this market to thrive, and where do we go in urban micromobility from here? So let's welcome our guest for the day to give his perspective. We're going to be chatting with Vice President for Global Business Development at Segway 9Bot, Mr. Tony Ho. Tony, great to have you back on. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Daniel. Yeah, I'm doing well. It is an absolute pleasure to be chatting. Uh, I feel like You've always got some solid insights, and I've been itching to get you back on the podcast, so I'm glad it's finally happening. Um, let's just jump right in. So what would you say has been the greatest success of the micro-mobility market to date, you know, during this last two-ish years of growth? What has been the, you know, something that people can hang their hat on? I think, uh, overall, the acceptance by the consumers is probably the biggest uh, success uh, for, for the whole industry, if you will. Um, I think uh, recently there have quite a few operators announcing their uh, milestones and how many millions of uh, rides they have in the past uh, uh, year or so. Uh, so. So it looks like it's, uh, it's actually really taking off and it's wildly accepted by many consumers around the globe, not just in the United States, but also in Europe and, and also in a lot of developing countries as well. What would you say has been the greatest success for the market in the United States specifically? Uh, I think the market is uh, uh, started as a, a sort of explosion and growth uh, w went through some uh, really uh, fast-paced growth um, and a lot of enthusiasm in the market. And I think the latest uh, uh, development now is uh, it seems like all the operators are focusing more on profitability and the focus on be running a success, sustainable business uh, as a profitable uh, company. So uh, a lot of the company, you, you can see them actually turn into a more uh, a, a bottom line focused as opposed to last year, more top line focused. And then just for the general phenomenon of first mile, last mile, what are the major challenges that are still plaguing that um, you know that aspect of the transit system and of the transportation journey. 
you know, you feel free to talk a little bit about infrastructure, about technology. Uh, I feel like all of the above um, influence some of the major challenges that are still keeping that first slash last mile from being solved completely. Yeah, I, I think from an operation point of view, I think everybody's focusing on the profitability side of the business. Uh, this is sort of due to many uh, specific issues related to the uh, the lifespan of the, the scooters and also the, the vandalism on the street and, and essentially the, the life cycle of the, uh, the scooter needs to be uh, increased or improved uh, for the company to, uh, to make return on the, on the investment. Um, at the same time, also the operational model uh, is morphing as well. So we, we have seen in the very beginning, uh, we, we, we had the uh, bird-like uh, crowdsourcing of uh, uh, with uh, uh, freelance chargers and, and bird hunters uh, roaming around the city. But now uh, it's, it's sort of morphing into more hibernate, uh, a hybrid of uh, both uh, 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 contract staff versus the own staff um, and also a lot of the, uh, uh, the operational models are sort of in some way uh, a, a traditional uh, type of fleet management model and also even partnership with uh, uh, contract service in local cities uh, so there's a lot of uh, sort of innovation and also a lot of the uh, infrastructure infrastructure needs to be put in place uh, including like uh, docking stations and, and locks um, and then all those infrastructure to help uh, reduce the amount of vandalism and theft um, and so that uh, the industry can turn uh, profitable sooner. Um, and then on the other hand, um, we see also a major uh, challenges for cities and uh, how do they adapt to this micromobility movement to their own city. And because every city is different, they have different bylaws and also many different uh, uh, sort of even cultural and and and, um, and many uh, uh, seasonal facts in this as well so um, in, in some way I think uh, we see the regulatory side and also the, the municipality involvement uh, and gradually become taking uh, gradually take, uh, take place uh, slowly but surely but uh, we see a lot of the uh, enthusiasm come from the the city as well yeah, I mean, I feel like it's definitely a mix, right? Um, because you still are dealing with municipalities that don't really have the infrastructure carved out for micromobility to thrive. Um, I think European cities are probably a little more cut out for it. I think there are some coastal cities that have, uh, you know, really great just general uh, bike paths or um, clean sidewalks, accessible sidewalks. But I still think there are a lot of cities and, I, you know, I'd point to Dallas even because Dallas seems to be one of these hubs where scooters get dropped off um, pretty frequently. I mean, we, we seem to be a micromobility testing center. Uh, and often what happens is that, you know, our sidewalks are not really made for the scooters because there's chunks of the sidewalk that are sticking up and... Uh, you know, if you're going too fast, you would go flying off the scooter, but then, you know, driving the scooter in the street, even though it's legally what you're supposed to be doing, you know, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence based on the way people drive and the kind of infrastructure that's in our city. Um, 
you know, it, it is a little scary. You know, it feels like you could get hit by a car at, at any point. So, yeah, I feel like those are the ones that I see personally um, that I, I think would keep that first mile, last mile from being solved uh, faster. How have you seen companies maybe like Segway, like some of your birds or limes or Ubers? I mean, have there been any conversations between those companies and what they want to achieve um, with municipalities and kind of getting both of them to the table and trying to discuss how can we invest money, time, and resources into developing infrastructure that better supports uh, micromobility? Yeah, um, I just returned from Berlin um, for the micromobility conference last week. And, uh, and it appears to me that uh, uh, especially uh, European cities are much better equipped uh, with uh, sort of the pre-existing bicycle lanes. And, and I was in uh, Amsterdam as well, and it was almost like bicycle heaven and and the scooter can just sort of leverage what's already there for for bicycles and um, so um on the u.s side it looks like we're lagging and especially the, the bicycle infrastructure is not as good i, I live in boston and, and it looks like the cities and also the, the towns outside of the city uh not uh, they were not built with the bicycle lanes or and, and not even scooter uh, lanes in mind um, so we definitely have a long way to go before everywhere is kind of, kind of populated with uh, uh, bicycle and scooter-friendly uh, lanes. Um, and also, I, I think personally, think it, it probably takes more than just the government, but also a lot of the uh, uh, the advocacy from you know the industry and also from the users and 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 many other uh, stakeholders. Um, so, so I, I do see one way to uh, improve that, of course, is the infrastructure. The other side of this is probably um, on the vehicle side, um, and, and, and we need to introduce um, more, let's say, more comfortable rides. Right? So, if, so, for example, some of the scooters we're making, they, they tend to become bigger and bigger and heavier, partially because the ride needs to be more stable, and the wheels need to be a little bigger, and the battery would last a little longer. So in some way, uh, we see um, once a scooter is turning from a, a toy into a, a transportation device, uh, a lot of the uh, sort of the, sort of the engineering and technology side of the feature needs to be built into the, the scooters. Uh, and so, for example, we see uh, one trend is, uh, you know, obviously when a tire is getting bigger and also they're more... Uh, 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 soft uh, to, to ride and two is that you can actually see uh, like say shock absorber being built into into uh, the front wheel of the scooters uh, that seems to be the trend for for a lot of the places because uh, even Europe has this you know very nice bicycle infrastructure you probably you probably see very often the, the cobblestones and you know the cracked roads in Europe city old especially the old town side old town side um, it's actually quite common to see those things. Uh, similar thing happened on, on the U.S. side, right? So a lot of the infrastructure, uh, even though it cannot be changed over time, but maybe a, a slight improvement or incre increment, incremental improvement on the vehicle side will make the vehicle a, a little bit more comfortable. Um, and also from a safety feature point of view, the brakes are becoming uh, more solid and also they they become uh, uh, almost like double uh, uh, 
double protection, uh, and also this sort of combination of uh, both electric brake and, and mechanical brake seems to be become a, a lot more popular design compared to the you know the design a couple of years ago. Uh, there are some other issues that I want to run by your way with kind of what's impeding micromobility a little bit. Um, I'd say general funding for these infrastructure projects, um, accessibility, which we've kind of talked on. But then also, I want to get your thoughts on the general cultural attitudes toward transit in the United States. Do you think uh, those impact how micromobility is being rolled out and where it's being rolled out? Do you think there is a defined kind of cultural attitude towards transit in the United States? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think America is a, a nation on wheels, but you know, uh, long history, right? So everybody drive their own vehicles, and occupancy rate has always been low. Um, so, so this is sort of, uh, in a way, um, uh, it was sort of a, a challenge to 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 begin with, um, and uh, and the fact that people. Uh, don't take enough public transportation uh, might lead to people are not willing to kind of ride a scooter to to the public transportation. So that's that part is possibly true. Uh, however, the interesting um, uh, sort of concept we we had uh, at Segway, uh, we always thought um, beyond just the public transportation, this two to two plus four concept. Might also work, and probably, uh, perhaps even work work better in the United States. Is so the combination with the two wheel scooters with the four wheel uh, cars. So in in some way, um, we, you can imagine that you can actually hold a scooter, maybe two or three scooters in one car trunk, and you can get to uh, at least close to the final destination and at the park or charging sta charging station, and you can ride a scooter to sort of final destination. So, so we we haven't seen that model take place yet, uh, partially because the ownership of uh, kick scooters are not popular enough yet. Um, so, so that I think there's huge potential there on that side, which is I call it four four plus two possibility or options. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I think partially because the awareness of the the scooter. Um, or, or the popularity, uh, even visibility, is not there yet. Um, so, so even though you we, we see that uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, city that you know has scooters pop up, um, but they're not um, that obvious yet. So, so you know, I, I you know I visit China quite often, and one one big contrast is that uh, in the days of uh, uh, bicycle sharing. Uh, was growing like crazy, and you will see, uh, really in the city, it's occupied by you know almost like oceans of uh, of bicycles, and because that's how frequently people use it and how frequently people use the public transportation. But if you look at even today, the popular places for uh, kick scooters, uh, sometimes they're still not that available yet, right? Especially during the rush hours and stuff. So so. Most likely, you know, out of the sight, out of the mind, 
So people, when they when they don't see them available, they won't they won't use them, especially during the rush hours and and whatnot. Um, and so the education side of this is also uh, personal. I think is is limited. So a lot of people are still asking questions. Oh, can I write this? And this is it safe? And do I have to wear a helmet? You know, so all these things. Um, it I think it takes time before people start to think about. Oh, maybe that's an option to me. I think obviously there's early adopters like some of the younger crowd and also the early adopters who already uh, are good with these uh, sort of uh, uh, sports um, or or people who who use it for um, personal use. So these people probably uh, you know already start using them. All right, so they, they they are the sort of the early adopters, but before we so-called crossing crossing the chasm, um, and it really um, I think we need to kind of do more uh, promotion, or we should we need to do more education to the market, and sometimes probably even you know hosting some of these events to to showcase what the possibilities are. I think definitely would help. Um, I, I don't think it will change overnight. Um, but then uh, I think with the the push from both the the industry and also, you know, in this case, I think the city should definitely uh, help push push these sort of uh, uh, usage. Um, and uh, I think at one point, I think we might reach the critical mass. So, you know, most people will consider that's a that's a real transportation mode as opposed to just sort of tourism attractions. So I know that Segway gave a recent press conference on uh, your robo-scooters specifically, um, but also on the general state of the industry. So could we get an in-review of some of the main takeaways from that press conference, especially on the profitability and sustainability of the industry right now? Yeah, I think definitely the industry is uh, going to the right direction, and the focus actually has changed from these hyped um get funded and, and exit or sell the company to now uh, to more reasonable and also uh, bottom line driven uh, culture. And people start to focus more on operations uh, and, and also compliance with city requirement and making sure the rides are safe. And so all these sort of uh, almost like the grunt work, if you will, uh, in, in, in the operations. Uh, so I personally think that's sort of the, the direction we're taking. And obviously, we heard from the market and also from our customers that these are the sort of the main, main challenge in the industry. And we, we as a product company, we look back into our sort of um, uh, arsenals or our, and you know, actually we look to our R&D team. And we ask, what can we do to, uh, to leverage the technology we have and uh, addressing some of the main pain points in the industry? So that's sort of the, uh, the product we came, came about, uh, the, ro- the robot scooter, we call it. Um, and we believe that's, that embodies many solutions to, to the, the current problems the industry have. So for example, the robot scooter is designed to kind of drive itself uh, in a short short distance, and also can kind of navigate its own way by avoiding uh, oncoming uh, pedestrians and and some some obstacles. Um, and it will allow the scooter to charge itself and return to a charging bay, or maybe reassemble and uh, regroup itself, so the operators can have a much easier time. Uh, in in rebalancing and parking the, the the scooter to the proper spot, and and one thing 
um, I showed in the video is that uh, because all the Robo scooters now has a swappable battery, so which means the scooter can actually return to a centralized location where the uh, the staff can easily swap in and in and out uh, the fresh batteries, and then the scooter can be redeployed uh, essentially by teleoperation or by uh, self autonomous driving to their desired look desired locations. Uh, so by that, we essentially we automate a lot of the work um, done by the uh, the current staff, um, and essentially uh, replacing them with. Uh, we call them semi-autonomous and also uh, tele-operated uh, uh, scooters. And so the cost of charging, rebalancing uh, can be much more reduced. And, and not to mention that uh, we could potentially solve a lot of the issues, uh, especially the public concerns. For example, the scooters blocking the sidewalk, we can easily tele-operate and also let the scooter move out of the way. And, and so they are not blocking the, the sidewalk. Um, and also, the scooter we're building this time is on a three-wheel because it needs to be balancing on its own. Uh, but one of the things or features brought by three-wheelers uh, are their stabilities. So, so naturally, they are safer to ride compared to two-wheel ones because they just stand on its own, and you you can stand on it; it won't you won't fall down without without even moving. Um, and the other thing is, it doesn't really topple much. So, so I was I did the demonstration on on stage by pushing the handlebar to the side, almost to the, like 45 degree, uh, and it didn't fall, right? Because it's three-wheeler and it's, it's stand on, on, on three wheels and it has a very low center of gravity and they just they just don't topple as easy. So you will see fewer and fewer of those so-called scooter dominoes on the street if majority of these uh, scooters are replaced by the sort of the robo scooters. So that's sort of our, our our vision for the future, but it it will probably take you know time for us to pilot and also figure out how it can adapt into the system, uh, and also how robust the system should be to to get to where we we want it to be. Has the physical size or the overhead cost for robo scooters been uh, a deterrent at all in their adoption? Why or why not? And, um, you know, have you had to call many of these concerns? Because, you know, I think to your point, the lighter, smaller scooters, um, I think their size and, um, you know, their, their flexibility generally makes them pretty appealing. Um, but also their small kind of light frame, like you said, means they're falling all over each other. And like you said, there are scooter dominoes, uh, you know, lining the street like a gate of scooters. So, yeah, w what are your thoughts on that? Has the robo scooter size been a problem at all? I don't think the size is, is going to be a major concern. One is that uh, the robo scooter size uh, is built based on the the Model Max uh, design, which is the, our current uh, major fleet of our sharing scooters. We announced them uh, the past CES in January 2019. Um, so the size uh, essentially is the same in, uh, other than it has two more, one more wheels in the front, so it's like three wheels. Um, and it actually even used uh, very similar components. And we, 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 one of the things we do well is uh, we, uh, we, we scale uh, 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 quite easily with, with the current 
um, design. And so even the wheels, they are essentially the same wheel from, from Model Max. Um, so size-wise, it's probably not a not an issue. Although uh, Model Max, because they're for sharing, so they're actually not you know that light. Uh, they they're around I think it's 18 kilo. Um, so it's it's actually not the lightest scooter you can you can have. But as a sharing model, um, you typically don't have to lift it as a as a rider or a consumer. Uh, perhaps the staff will have a little bit tough time dealing with it. Um, and but if if the scooter needs to be put in a car trunk, for example, and as a consumer to carry them around into the subway, then um, then the Robo scooter or Model Max will not be the sort of the ideal design for that, because then you will need sort of compact, maybe even super compact, kick scooters to to kind of fold together and put that in the trunk nicely. Um, so 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 back to Robo scooter, I think what we see is their use is probably going to be more like B2B type of application, not necessarily retail. So we don't see people buying a robot scooter anytime soon because that's sort of the lower lower hanging fruit here is really the improvement on the operational side. Um, so in terms of cost, I mean, I mean uh, we, we now have more smarts built into the scooters. Uh, normally you would imagine that, okay, now because there's so many, you know, computing power in, in the scooter now, and they have sensors, they have cameras, and then they have uh, all these like uh, uh, provision for for safety features, and then it must be more costly. Um, but uh, you might be surprised to hear that uh, we're only, in fact, only adding a few hundred dollars uh, worth of uh, components uh, into the current scooters. So. Um, that the cost of uh, a robot scooter is actually not that more expensive than than even the current uh, sharing model, the the, the 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 model Max, partially because we we leverage a lot of the technology that goes into the cell phones, um, and they they are essentially a phone uh, put on top of a a robo scooter or sort of integrated together. And a lot of the learning we had in the past making the robot, and you might heard the uh, one of the robots we, we made, uh, Lumo. And, and and that's actually a combination of uh, uh, Android phone with a, uh, with a Segway base. So robo scooter is very similar in that sense that we're leveraging a lot of the technology that goes into the consumer electronics or, or computers and, and cell phones. So the cost of the, the smarts, if you will, uh, it's actually quite affordable. So if you look at the return on investment, um, a few hundred dollars uh, can save you so much time and also the labor associated with rebalancing and charging. And ROI, and I, I believe, can prove out very quickly uh, to be positive uh, very soon. All right, last main point I want to field your way. Uh, how is AI benefiting this industry at all? Uh, and are you seeing machine learning guide the first last mile problem to its conclusion? Yeah, so um, AI, it's, it's critical uh, in, in this case, in a sense that if we can automate and I even make the scooter autonomous, um, there's many, many possibilities. So in addition to the operational uh, benefit, uh, we can totally see other things. For example, uh, we, can, uh, we can actually use these things for uh, uh, making the scooter probably even safer or less vandalism uh, because now they have smarts on them. 
right? So they will be able to de detect uh, obstacle faster. Um, they uh, they will record uh, a lot of the um, you know, function as a dash cam, for example. Uh, if if the accident do happen, they will be able to record the incidents. Um, and uh, in in addition to the vehicle side AI, there's also uh, AI on the uh, we call them cloud side, right? So in terms of planning the the rebalancing of scooters and study the pattern on the on the traffic and uh, uh, direct the staff to uh, to leverage the uh, some of the uh, advantage of using AI uh, like maintenance uh, and battery health um, so all these uh, uh, you might think it's very trivial uh, issues in operations but a lot of the work um, these actually are grunt works that can be done by computers and monitored by the by the AI so they are the the cloud that manages the fleet can be um, more uh, more intelligent and also the the efficiency of you know monitoring all these devices uh, become very high um, so um, so basically, I would say that uh, uh, AI might play a very important role in turning the whole um, operations uh, more profitable and smarter. And the last but not least uh, uh, is that uh, imagine one day that AI can help the scooter be delivered to you. Um, and and you can summon the, the scooter to you or maybe reserve a scooter to you. Uh, you don't have to worry about uh, looking for scooters when you when you need one. Uh, so that will afford some new possibilities and perhaps even new uh, business model and uh, and possibly maybe fund new companies um, that come up with these kind of model. And so that when you you know get off work and you need a scooter, all you need to do is you know turn on your phone and uh, open an app. Let's say you know hopefully a Segway app. And you can say, oh, I need a Segway robot scooter come to me. I'm going home. Uh, they will be waiting for you downstairs. Right? So, so, yeah, right. so that I see, it's actually very possible maybe in five or six years down the road, maybe even sooner. Yeah. Hey, I mean, let's keep our fingers crossed. I definitely like the idea of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's fantastic stuff. Okay, actual last final question, um, because I like the idea of that kind of smarter technology, um, but... I think the technology alone isn't really enough, right? It's got to play into some larger conversations of how we approach micro-mobility. So I want to just ask you, how do you think the industry is going to continue to evolve? Do you think the technology is going to evolve independently? Do you think the cities and how they change up their infrastructure is going to guide the micro-mobility technology? Or do you think it's going to be micro-mobility technology that collaborates with cities and then ends up uh, guiding the cities to restructure their infrastructure around the idea of first to last mile? Well, personally, I, I would like to think ultimately the technology will guide the, or lead the industry in this case. Uh, I, I, you know, almost like uh, compare this to the early days of uh, cell phone industry where, we, where uh, every time and uh, there's sort of revolution or a big movement of the industry. Usually it came uh, from uh, innovation in the in product itself, right? Essentially, the, the product 
unlocks whole realm of opportunities and uh, possibilities for for entrepreneurs, for cities, and for you know so many other people saying, oh, now it's all possible, right? So, so personally, I think you know some of the things similar similar to the robo scooter we're trying to do now is, you know, hopefully these tools when they're available, it becomes you know very very uh, you know, inspirational to many people to come up with new business model, come up with new, maybe even regulations. Um, but the excitement typically come from something, you know, from sort of the technology realm. Um, and uh, and typically, the the city or you know the regulatory side normally lags behind it, right? Um, so so I, I could be wrong, but I, I think. You know, I think the whole industry needs to be the uh, leader in in this space and keep innovating, and also um, from both from technology point of view, also from business model point of view, and then sort of everybody else will will follow, right? And especially in the case uh, now, looks like there's also money to be made in this space, so that that actually has gives a lot of motivation uh, for everybody in the industry to 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 push forward. Yeah, I mean, definitely when the uh, when the motive is there to make some profit from innovating in the industry, uh, especially in one that is booming like this, uh, I I definitely can agree with you there. Um, I you know I think probably the the companies and the technology itself will evolve first and hopefully guide the cities forward. Um, but I I do also think there's an opportunity for um, some cities that see the value of micromobility to invest in infrastructure that not only promotes micromobility, but maybe in a more sweeping sense, promotes general foot mobility, you know, bike mobility. And that, I think, is more flexible and can evolve into micromobility uh, from a technology standpoint. So, Sure, yeah. I think it's just kind of up, up in the air, uh, and we'll just have to see how different cities, different municipalities, maybe entire states handle the idea of rolling out comprehensive micromobility. And I don't think we've seen the answer yet, but I think Segway is definitely going to be part of the conversation moving forward. So, Tony Ho, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It was a pleasure getting to break down your thoughts on the first last mile. And I'm looking forward to having you back on again soon. Yep. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes of The Last Mile or consume some more of our content, you can head to poweredby.segway.com slash news. Again, poweredby.segway.com slash news. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you're listening to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.